pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer this morning and we're thankful for each one that is here with us. Lord, we've dedicated this time to your worship and so we bring you songs that praise your name and lift you up. Lord, we ask that you would help us to sing those songs to your honor and glory. Lord, I pray for the special music this morning that it would prepare our hearts for the preaching. And Lord, I ask for the preaching this morning that I would be able to preach a sermon you would have me to preach, that I would get out of the way and be able to preach your words simply and clearly. Yet, Lord, the greatest time of worship we have in our service today is the invitation where we have a few moments to examine our lives and ask you, according to your word, to change us and to remake us and use us to bring glory to your name. Lord, we pray that you would superintend each part of this service and be glorified in it. In your name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. Part in verse 11, and we're going to be moving around just a little bit this morning. Uh, we're going to be studying the idea, the, the command, the biblical command to hold fast. And in verse 11, Jesus is writing a letter to the church at Philadelphia. Uh, that's not in Pennsylvania, of course. Modern day Turkey is where that city was. There was a church in existence about 100 AD when John penned these words at the direction of the Holy Spirit of God in verse 11 says, Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Behold, I come quickly. This is Jesus speaking. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Now, Jesus is giving a command to this church. He says, I want you to hold that which you have fast. Now, we use the word fast today primarily talking about the speed in which something occurs. Can you get something done a little faster? Can we move this line a little faster? It's way too long. I mean, that's normally what we think about when we use the word fast. Uh, how many of you have ever had the unfortunate experience to experiment with crazy glue and your fingers? You get a drop on the wrong place and you happen to clamp your fingers together and all of a sudden you can't pull them apart. Uh, that is another definition, another use of this word. Your fingers are now fast. Uh, they are held fast together. They are not movable. And if you do a good enough job, you'll show up at the emergency room and have to have the surgeon cut them apart. Don't put, it, don't put crazy glue on your fingers and rub your eye, okay? There have been people that have actually glued their eyelids shut. Uh, that is not a pleasant thought at all, but it helps you understand the idea of the word fast. You are to hold on to it and not let go. Now, should we 
not start in the right direction, I want you to understand something. Read Philippians chapter 3. You hold on, but it's Jesus holding on to you that keeps you holding on. Now, that's another sermon for another day. Uh, This is a command that Jesus is giving. He wants you to make that decision. But, of course, our trust in our faith is not in ourselves to hold on, but in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to hold on to us. Amen? And so we want these things taken in their proper and biblical context. Seven times in your Bible, the words hold fast, the command hold fast is given to believers in Jesus Christ. We are to hold fast. We are to grab a hold of. And the first thing that we're going to look at today in just a moment as we turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, we're to hold fast of doctrine. Today is a day when if you have any uh, uh, connection with quote-unquote greater Christianity, this is the first thing that they deal with. I remember the battles that were going on in the Bible college I was with. We're going to major on the majors and minor on the minors. Well, don't you have to go down in the mine to find the No, I'm sorry. Uh, What they were talking about is we're going to make the important things important. You see, we all believe in God. We're going to leave the minor things out. You see, what version of the Bible you use really isn't that important. Excuse me, how do I know what God said if I don't know what God said? You see, what version of the Bible you use is not a minor thing. It's a major thing. How many of you have ever gotten a hold of an old version of a map? Or if you got one of those new iPhones, I think they got a hold of an old version of the map. Uh, We were coming back and it told me to go down this street and make a turn and I go down that street and there's this wonderful little orange sign that says road closed. Now I thought they were supposed to keep track of these things. But you get a hold of an old or an inaccurate map, guess what? The road might not take you where you want to go, especially if the bridge is out. Amen? Uh, And the simple thing is true when you get a hold of a Bible that doesn't tell you what the Bible says. You know what? You might end up in the wrong place. And that has eternal consequences, my friend. It's not a minor thing. It's interesting to meet someone, and this is kind of how it goes on. How are you doing? I haven't seen you in a lot of years. No, I haven't seen you either. What's going on? Oh, you still still believe the same things you did back then? 
uh, yeah. I, Jesus said to hold fast that which thou hast. Amen? That we're not to change. Well, how, how do you relate to the culture in which you live? Well, I, I've been pastor right here for just a little over 20 years and in the ministry, 27, 28 years. And I have not yet found one command in the Bible that tells me to be relevant to the culture in which I live. But there's an awful lot in this Bible that says, stand upon the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ and cast out the lifeline and reel them in from the culture that is out there. We're not to relate to the world. We're to send you a lifeline that will pull you out of the world so Jesus can save you from it. Amen? I, in the last few weeks, have just been bombarded from many, many different directions. And every one of them is just to give in a little to the world. And you know, you are the one that ends up feeling. I mean, one of our jokes, I'm the meanest pastor in the world. You got a question? I got an answer. No. All right. Somebody says, is it okay? No. If you have to ask about it, it's probably not okay. Because if it is okay, you already know it is because you've been reading your Bible. Amen. Now, if you have a truly honest question, we love those. But most of the time, we already... I've had people come up, Pastor, I already know what you're going to say. Well, maybe you do and maybe you don't. But if it's about changing something that the Bible says, you already know what I'm going to say. Amen? Because Jesus has given us these commands. I hope you've turned to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to start in chapter 5. And no, we do not hold to tradition simply because it's tradition. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul is writing to this church in modern day Greece. And it was in existence in Paul's day. And it was preaching the truth. And they had many problems. And he's just loading up the commands here. And in verse 21, he says, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. How many of you have ever held on to the wrong thing? I had a friend in Cleveland, Ohio. They were doing some work. They had a large wrought iron uh, sign on the roof. And he was holding on to that sign to steady it. As they were taking the bolts out, it needed to be dismantled and cleaned up and put back on there. He had made a mistake. He had wrapped the rope around his hand. 
and they took the boat out and the sign began to move and he jerked on the rope and he made a terrible discovery. The sign was a whole lot heavier than he was. Make a gory story short, he lost three fingers because he's holding on to the wrong thing. There's a man that went fishing. Do we have any fishermen here? Anybody like to fish? I like to fish. He got a hold of what they believe was an 80, 180 pound or more catfish. They saw the drag marks on the shore. He was holding on to the pole. They found his body several days later because he wouldn't let go of the fishing pole. You see, <clears throat> Paul understood that there are an awful lot of wrong things to hold on to in this life. And that's why he started by saying, prove all things. Now, I, I taught trigonometry for one year in high school. And uh, praise God, it was only one year. I managed to stay a step ahead of most of my students and, and, and keep them in line. But one of the things that I made them do was I made them prove their answer. See, in trigonometry, it's not the fact that you came up with the right answer. That's only about 20% of the problem. The other 80% is knowing how you came up with the right answer and being able to prove that you came up with the right answer. How many of you want me for your trigonometry teacher now? But we did an exchange, our, our school with another school about an hour away. And they went to, they sent students up to Cleveland, Ohio, where I was teaching. And we, uh, uh, I taught their class for a week. And then our students went down there and they taught them for a week. And our students came back after a week at this other school and, and, uh, kind of the leader of the class raised his hand and says, Mr. Montoro, I got to say something. He says, I got to say thank you. He said, you know, we, we kind of thought you really didn't know what you were talking about. And, and we thought you were a pretty poor teacher, he says, but we want you to know that we think you're a great teacher now. You see, most people don't require the proving part because it's a lot of work. If you do not prove your answers in life, you're going to find yourself holding on to the wrong things. My brother-in-law met a lady one time. She said, I was Southern Baptist born and I'm Southern Baptist bred and when I'm dead, I'll be Southern Baptist dead. And I was going, "Woo! I'm glad I didn't meet that lady. 
And I'll bet she's even more glad she didn't meet me. Amen? Because that's not where the answer is, my friend. It's not holding on to a church. Because church organizations go bad. It's holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's understanding that there are still churches that believe and teach the Word of God according to the Bible. That's what we strive to do here because Jesus said, number one, through the Apostle Paul here, he said, prove all things. Now, how do I prove something? Here's how I prove it. This is God's standard. This is the measure. I take it. I put it into this book. And if it doesn't come out the other side then I know it's garbage and it needs to be discarded no matter how wonderful or friendly or kind or pleasant it may be. It's got to be proven according to the Word of God that it is right. Once it passes that test, then it is my duty to hold on to that which is good. By the way, you can use crazy glue in this instance. Amen? Just put a little dab in there and wrap your hand around it so you won't let go. But let's understand the greater biblical context. Once you make the decision to hold fast that which is good, Jesus wraps his hand around you and holds you on. But he does expect you to examine things. Not everything that looks good is good. Not everything that sounds right is right. You have to prove it. And by the way, if you can't prove it, then let's Worry about something else. Amen? Let's move to the next subject. You see, if you want the proof, we spent 12 or 14 weeks giving you evidence why we only use the Old King James Bible, nothing else in the English language. We spent about another 14 weeks several years ago proving that no believer in Jesus Christ has any reason nor right nor proper purpose in using alcohol in their diet. Now, if you've got a cut, put a little alcohol on it. That's a different kind, by the way. And sterilize that thing and put a bandit, but don't drink it. Bad things will happen. The Bible teaches these things. How many stupid things have people done drinking Budweiser? I mean, just think about that a minute. Leave it alone. We don't have time to go through 14 weeks of lessons this morning. But we can prove those things based upon the Word of God. We can prove that it's not biblical to just stand at the back of the auditorium and greet everyone by saying, hey, you're right. We agree with you. 
No. We stand at the back of the auditorium and we say, you're wrong. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you want to get right, you start agreeing with this book called the Bible. Amen? We can prove many things. It's good for us to assemble together in the name of Jesus and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Bible says so. The Bible says it's good to give to missions and support missionaries around the world. There's things that we can prove. And if we can prove those things, the Bible says to hold fast to that which is good. And by the way, when God gives you something good, it doesn't go bad. How many of you had something really good to eat and you said, I just can't eat it all right now. I'm going to save some for later. And then you forget about it. And you open that thing up and it was the doggy bag that time forgot. The only problem is the mold didn't forget about it. And you have to throw that thing out. You know what? I could bring literature into the pulpit that would say that very thing about the local church. It's just not reaching its society. It's just not doing the job anymore. And so we've got to get something with a bigger scope than the local church. No. The Bible says the only plan is the local church. Therefore, we're going to hold fast. And we're not looking for anything bigger or better because we already have that which we need. But we've got to be faithful and we've got to be a part of what's going on. You've got to submit to scriptural baptism. And what good is it to say and give a testimony of salvation and then submit to scriptural baptism and never show up and never serve? That's not what the church is about. It's a place to live your Christianity. It's a context for your relationship with God. The best way, uh, illustration I can give you, when we were cleaning out the house there that my mother lived in, I, I found my grandfather Montoro's, actually my brother did, my grandfather Montoro's naturalization paper. This is when he became a U.S. citizen. The only problem is, it's all fallen apart. It's old, it had been put in a frame, and somebody broke the frame, and when they broke the frame, they actually broke the document with it. That's what your Christianity is without being part of a local church. Now, here's what I'm going to do with that. I'm going to go down to the art supply and find a piece of acid-free cotton paper. And I'm going to get archival backing tape. And I'm going to put the tape on the paper. And then I'm going to glue the pieces of the document to the paper. And what it's going to do is it's going to support and hold that document so that it will not deteriorate any further. 
And hopefully one day in several months, you'll see it on display in my office. But the simple truth of the matter is, no person can live what's in the Bible by themselves. You've got to have a local church. How you get in the church? You've got to be biblically saved. Then you have to be biblically baptized. And you have to want to serve in the church. That's all there is to it. We don't have waiting periods because when you tell me that you're saved, I want to believe you. Amen? When you tell me you want to serve in the church, I'm not going to call you a liar. I don't know about you, but I get a little upset. I go into a store and I purchase items and I have a receipt and then they have a person there to check my receipt to see if I've stolen anything on the way out. of. Am I the only one that bothers I mean, that bothers me. I just spent your entire week's paycheck in this store. And you don't think I was honest about it. I mean, come on, give me a break. We don't want to do that at the church. We want to give you the right to tell us your intention. And then our church is to here to help you to live out those intentions. Because, again, you can't do it by yourself. You have to have some help. And that's why Jesus started the church. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Just a few pages in your Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Timothy, of course, was Paul's preacher in training, his preacher boy, if you use those terminology. Of course, Timothy was probably not a boy anymore. He'd already been entrusted to the pastorate of a rather large church. And when Paul wasn't there to fulfill his uh, duties because of travel, Timothy fulfilled them. So Timothy was not a novice. He wasn't just... um, Somebody that Paul grabbed and stuck in a spot and said, well, you're the best we have, you'll do. No, he was trained and he was prepared. He was just a little younger and and maybe he was intimidated by his lack of experience. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Paul is telling Timothy, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love, which is in Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever seen cement being poured into a form? It's pretty interesting to watch. I mean, they'll take this stuff that looks like thin icing or thick peanut butter, I mean, depending on the consistency, I mean, it just slops and splatters all over the place. And they'll have a little wooden box built and, and you can make all kinds of shapes and, and sizes if you'll build the form and then pour the concrete into the form. Then you take the form away and guess what you got? Whatever the form was shaped in. Now, if you drop something into the form that doesn't belong there, 
guess what's going to be sticking out of your project? I've seen people pour concrete basins, you know, like to use for watering troughs and things like that, maybe out in the field in the Midwest to water the cattle and stuff, and you drop a wrench down in there, and guess what happens? It goes through both sides, and you got to throw it away and start all over again. But here's what the Bible says. It says, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. Now, how can I know that I've heard those words of the Apostle Paul or of God through the apostles and through the writers? Well, it's real easy. It's written down. We've already talked about that. We can prove that we have a reliable copy of God's word in English language in our King James Bible. By the way, it's not the new one. It's the old one. But there's a pattern. There is a pattern or a form to our doctrine. We are not here to experiment with things and to try things. Now, I'll tell you what. They did not have PA systems in the day of the Apostle Paul. I'm glad that we have PA systems today. Because I don't think I could preach above the air conditioners. And uh, I'll tell you what, we can't get the cool from the outside, so we got to make it. Otherwise, it'd be so hot in here, you wouldn't be able to listen to the service. It doesn't mean that we're not willing to try or to use computers or all of this. I mean, we're not, we're not trying to follow the form of the Amish who decided all truth was relevant to 1824 or 26 whenever they wrote up some of the articles and that everything, dress and all of that has to be relegated to that time period. That's not where we are. That's not who we are. But there is a form. You see, our doctrine is not about men. That's why when we have a special in music, Now, other churches clap. We're not against clapping. But here, what we want to do is we want to make sure that we respond differently. Next time you're in a a big auditorium and some famous person comes up, don't stand up and say amen. But you see, that works in church. Because that is the form that God has given us. And you see, when you say amen, you can rest assured that you're not praising the person that is doing the special because amen gives praise to God. There are things that we can trust. There are patterns They do not call them doctrinal systems for no reason at all. People, men, they love to categorize things. How many of you have ever looked through a a zoological catalog or something? It's got all the different kinds of animals in there, and this is something here, and this is something here, and, and, and... 
But they always get to something like the duck-billed platypus, and they say, you know, it doesn't really fit with anything else, so we'll make it its own category. Listen, I, I want to be categorized as an old-fashioned Bible believer, nothing else. Old-fashioned Baptist Bible believer, Amen. You see, it tells us that there is a pattern which we can rely on. We can rely upon the words of God. But that pattern has to be kept. Here's how you keep from just dead traditionalism. Look at the rest of this verse. It says, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Faith. That's believing God's words to the point of obedience. That's faith. Love. Jesus said, if ye love me, what? Keep my commandments. So again, we find ourselves tied to the words of God. He tells us to hold fast the right thing. If you're holding on to the right thing, you're going to end up in the right place. If you're holding on to the wrong things, bad things are going to happen. It just cannot but follow. You may get away with it for a while. In our construction, we've had people help in different things, and every once in a while we'll get somebody helping, and, and uh, we've got a little pattern worked out. When I call clear, that means get your hands off the table saw. We're going to turn it on. But there are people who just lean on the table saw and run stuff through it and nobody... I'll tell you what, you can get away with that for a while, but you're going to get cut eventually. It's not safe. There's a form. There's a pattern of proper behavior, and it's in the words of God, and we do not need to deviate from it. But let's go to Revelation chapter 2. We've got to hurry this morning. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 contains the letters that Jesus wrote to his churches. Seven letters to seven churches. And we believe that those churches were chosen because they have the characteristics and the practices that any church that you look at today will basically fit into or could fit into one of these patterns here. And so Jesus is trying to give his churches instruction there and yet give us instruction today. And in chapter 2, verse 25, he says, But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. You see, Jesus said, I want you to hold on to your doctrine, the form of sound words, the things that you can prove out of the word of God. He was talking to a church that was in trouble. They were doing wrong things in this church. And Jesus was condemning them for the wrong things. He said, but you got some right things that you're doing. 
So keep doing the right things. After 9-11, we're talking about 2001, the terrorist attacks. I'll tell you, there's a lot of people thinking and rethinking. And, and one of the struggles that I went through personally is I say, you know, what are we supposed to do here at our church in response to these things? And I was going, we're not really changing anything. Maybe something's wrong. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, maybe something was right because we don't need to change anything. We're already doing what we're supposed to do. You see, today we have a lot of people who want to make a differentiation. They want to make a dichotomy, if you like big words. They want to get out their knives and split the hair of doctrine and practice. I want to challenge you today... If you don't believe it enough, doctrine, to live it, practice, they're both wrong. These are what we might say two sides of the same coin or two tracks that allow the train to run down the road together. Now, what happens if the tracks come together? Train wreck. What happens if the tracks go apart? Same thing. The train stops running. You have what you believe and what you live. They ought to be parallel. They ought to run together. They work together to make things happen. And Jesus here is telling his church, look over Revelation 3.3. Again, another church that has some trouble. He says in verse uh, verse 1, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. In verse 3, he says, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come upon thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Have you ever met one of those people? And you get, just get talking to them, and without going into a couple paragraphs... Just a few moments, they'll say, but are you going to be ready when it happens? Uh, What are you talking about? Well, we're talking about the conspiracies and the great secret societies. And and all of a sudden, all this stuff just comes gushing out. And they want to give you papers and catalogs and tell you how that, uh, what is it, the Bilderbergers or something like that is going to rule the world and all. And boy, I'll tell you what, stay away from that stuff. It's dangerous. You see, they talk about trying to be prepared when it happens. Can I tell you how to be prepared when it happens? Live for the Lord today. Walk with Jesus today. And guess what? You'll be walking with Him when it happens. You don't have... It's not the righteous man that fears the unknown. Because Jesus is bigger than any unknown. 
It is the unrighteous man who tries to manipulate things and protect himself and do all these things. The Bible says in this verse that we just read, if you don't hold fast that which God has given you, which you've heard, which is written down in this book, that's how Jesus is going to come upon you as a thief and you're going to be unprepared and you're not going to be knowing what's going on. You know, I, I imagine when Jesus comes back, there's going to be one of these guys that's truly saved. He's just gotten messed up. He's not paying attention to what he's heard. And he's going to be down inside his bunker trying to load gun shells or prepare things for when everything happens. And he, Jesus is going to say, time to go home. Oh, wait a minute. I got, I got to get prepared yet. No, I'll tell you what. I don't want nothing holding me back when Jesus calls me home. I want to be ready. You see, you want to be prepared. Hold fast. That which ye have heard, which ye have received, don't worry about trying to do all of those things. Worry about being obedient to Jesus today. Now we're going to look at three verses in Hebrews and we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 3. You see, you need to hold fast of your doctrine. You need to hold fast of your practice. But three times in the book of Hebrews, we're told to hold fast of our profession. Now, before we read the verses here, let me define what a profession is. A profession is a statement of what you believe. When you get saved, you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Two verse, three verses before that, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That's a profession. That's why we call it a profession of faith. You, with your mouth, make a statement that Jesus is the Lord, the only Lord, and the Savior, the only Savior that you trust in. That is not a hope so. That is not one day I'd like it to be so. Uh, or I, I, I want Jesus to be my Lord and straighten out my life. No, it's a statement of truth. By the way, if you ever walk down the aisle and that man upon which you have pinned your hopes and says, uh, do you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? And he says, to the best of my ability and in my endeavors... I will attempt to take this woman to run. Don't stick around for that kind of guy. It's a statement of truth. I do. And if you can't be honest about that, there's an awful lot you're not going to be honest about. Amen? When you get saved, God isn't asking you to think about it. He's asking you to make a statement of truth, a profession. The Lord. 
the Savior. Are you going to fail your Lord? Only if you're alive. But he'll never fail to save you. And when you confess your sins and come back to him, he'll make it right. Because he paid for every sin with his own blood. That's a profession. Hebrews chapter 3, the first verse we're going to read, calls it the confidence. It says, but Christ, verse 6, chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. It says that we need to hold fast to the confidence. You know, I've been criticized by people over the years and they say, how, how do you make that statement that you know for sure you're going to heaven? Well, I have confidence. The Bible tells me to hold on to that confidence and not let it go. Oh, you just think you're better than everybody else. No, that's not where my confidence lies. I know who and what I am. And I have no confidence in this flesh and in this person. My confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said he would save me. And I believe it. And I don't care what you say or how many times you try to argue and reason with me and tell me that he's not the son of God and that he didn't do this and he won't do that. If I have to make a choice between believing you and him, you lose. Because I'm going to believe what the Bible says. You say, that's blind, childish faith. Amen, Jesus said, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. I'll be childish until he takes me home. And then I can be childish for all eternity and enjoy it. Amen. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, <coughs> excuse me, let us hold fast our profession. You see, I'm not giving up on the fact that Jesus loves me. I'm not giving up on the fact that he said it is finished on the cross. I'm not giving up on the fact when it says he is a propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's nothing I can do that surprises God. He's already paid for it on the cross. And if I'll accept his payment, I've had people over the years, Pastor, I can forgive them, but I can't forgive myself. Wrong. That's just backwards pride, my friend. It takes humility to come to the foot of the cross and believe that Jesus paid the price for that sin that you've committed too. It takes getting past yourself and who you are. And it says that we have this confidence. And if you read the rest of this passage here in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that we may come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in a time of need. God wants you to bring every request to Him at every opportunity. Because he's the only one that can answer it. Don't try to solve your own problems. 
I read a sign one time in a garage. To fix your car, this is old sign, $55 an hour. To give you advice on for you to fix your car, $75 an hour. To fix your car after you have tried to fix your car, $100 an hour. You know what? How many times do we find ourselves in that last category? My confidence is not in me, it's in Jesus. And that confidence takes me right back to the throne of grace to say, I have sinned, Lord. Please forgive me and teach me how to live for you. He never gets tired of hearing that prayer because he wants us to live for him. Why did God forgive you of all of your sins on the cross and then ask you to bring them one by one to him and seek his forgiveness? It's because he wants you as a human being to find healing and forgiveness and cleansing and to rid the guilt by bringing your sin to God. Because he does not want us ever to ignore sin and pretend it didn't happen. That's not in the Bible, my friend. God did not sweep your sin under the carpet. They're all written in his ledger, paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. The greatest lie the devil tells is that Jesus has run out of patience with you. Maybe he's through with me. Maybe he's set me on a shelf like he did King Saul in the Old Testament. Let me tell you something today. If you're alive, if you have life, he wants to use that life to bring glory to his name. Do not let go of your profession that Jesus has saved you and that he will keep you and that he will use you, not because you are faithful, but because he is faithful. You see, you need to hold fast. But you got to remember when you put your hand out and grab a hold of the right thing, proved by the word of God, and you start walking down that pathway, it's the Holy Spirit of God that lives within you that helps you walk in the way that you should go. It is the hand of Jesus that wraps his hand around you and won't allow you to let go. If you can let go and walk away, you don't have hold the right thing. 
You see, that's what church is all about. We live in a world of deception, my friend. And the greatest deceiver that you will ever have to deal with is the reflection in the mirror every morning or whenever you happen to look that way. We deceive ourselves. The only answer for all of that deception is the words of this book. You've got to keep in the book. And when you find out what's true, you hold on to it. And you'll find out that Jesus is holding on to you. And that's how we can bring glory to our Savior in these latter days. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, I just ask that you would allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. Lord, the subject of this morning's message, we could, we could spend every Sunday until Christmas on it and still never cover everything that could and needs to be covered. But Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would apply that to individual lives here today. Lord, you can't hold on to anything until you get saved first. We pray if there be one here in this group that has yet to trust you as their personal Savior. The Lord, even today would be the day that they would make that decision. Lord, if they find themselves in layers of deceit and self-deceit and just misunderstanding and all of those things and the confusion reigns, Lord, we're glad your word says that you're not the author of confusion. We know who is. But Lord, that today would be the process of peeling back those layers until we have the truth and we can grab a hold of it. Lord, I pray for those that are striving to serve you in these turbulent times and just feel like they're being tossed about and they're all alone. Help them to understand they're not alone if they'll be obedient to the Word of God. Lord, we ask that you would build your church right here in Astoria and that we would be faithful, that we would hold that fast which we have till you come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and Brother Franz come.